My name is Anthony P. Richards. I'm a pastor and I started this podcast channel to equip, encourage, inspire and challenge you to passionately live to your potential in Christ through the Word of God. For more information, you can go to my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Welcome as we continue our journey through the Word of God and today we are going to be continuing through 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and uh, today we're going to be starting at verse 12 and going all the way through to uh, verse 20, the end of the chapter today. And here we have the Apostle Paul again talking about sexual purity to the church in Corinth. This was obviously something that was pervasive within the church in Corinth. And there were principles that they had been taught but were not living by. And Paul's about to introduce an interesting concept that's actually about to continue to flow through the book of Corinthians, that just because something is permitted doesn't mean that it's necessarily good and you should do it. So Paul starts off in verse 12 and he says, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, when Paul was talking about sexual immorality of uh, a certain member of the Corinthian church, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where sinners, certain sinners are described, Paul brought up the issue of the sexual conduct of Christians. Now he's going to address some of the questions and the problems that the Corinthian church had about what God wanted them to do in regards to sex. So Paul says, all things are lawful for me. It's probably a phrase that he used over and over again. And we can almost hear him telling the church exactly what he told the church in, in Colossae, uh, in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. When it comes to what we eat or drink or what on what day we worship the Lord, all things are lawful for me. I'm at liberty and I should not let anyone put me under bondage as legalists are prone to do. But then he says, but not all things are helpful. The Christians in Corinth took the idea that all things are lawful and then applied it to areas that Paul never intended, nor did God himself intend. They used their liberty and their freedom as a license to sin. Guzik says this, specifically from the reference to the harlot in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15, the point seems to be that the Corinthian Christians thought they had the liberty to use the service of a prostitute. This was culturally accepted in the city of Corinth, and it was accepted in the religious community among religious pagans, who saw nothing wrong in a religious person using a prostitute. Paul says, I will not be brought under the power of any. And using this phrase, Paul uses a verb that he uses again only in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4, in the context of a husband and a wife having authority over each other's bodies. So Paul may be saying, I will not be brought under the power of any body, as in the body of a prostitute. And we move on to verse 13. And now the Apostle Paul moves on to talking about food. Appetites for sex and appetites for food, they're not the same. Foods for the stomach and stomach for the foods. But God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. The Corinthian Christians 
probably used this motto, foods for the stomach, stomach for the foods, uh, to justify giving their bodies whatever their bodies actually wanted. My body wants food, so I eat. My body wants sex, so I hire a prostitute. What's the problem? But Paul was not going to let them use that term, that slogan, and apply it to sexual immorality because the body is not for sexual immorality but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Uh, Guzik says, because of our lustful sexual appetites, it may seem that God did make our bodies for sexual immorality. But God did not make our bodies that way. Sinful Adam did. We see the wisdom in God's design for the body and for sexual purity when we look at the problems of unplanned pregnancies and sexually transmitted diseases. These are the price one pays in the body for using the body in a way that the Lord never intended. The body is not for sexual immorality. Okay, now, one day God is going to destroy our stomachs in the sense that we will no longer be dependent on food and we won't get hungry. Um... There'll, there'll, uh, there'll be food and eating in heaven, but it's not going to be in a fulfillment of how we think it to be. But our bodies themselves in their moral character, particularly when it comes to being relevant to our sexual conduct, will be raised up by the Lord at the resurrection. So what do we do with our bodies in regard to food does not affect us in the same way as what we do with our bodies in regard to sex. This is the point Paul was making. So we move on to verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Now, I'm sure when the church in Corinth read this for the first time, and I'm sure when a lot of Christians read this verse for the first time, there's a massive quickening of their spirit and a, oh, oh, okay, I never thought about that. Apparently, many of the Christians in Corinth did not know because he says, do you not know? So apparently some of them didn't. And they thought their sexual contact and, and conduct with prostitutes had actually absolutely no connection whatsoever to their relationship with Jesus Christ. But he says, no, your, mem- your bodies are members of Christ. So when an individual Christian commits sexual immorality, it disgraces the entire body of Christ. It links the body of Christ to immorality that it should not be linked to. He who is joined to a harlot is one body with her, one flesh. See, God's intention was for a husband and wife to become one flesh in a way that is under God's blessing. When there is sex outside of marriage, the partners become one flesh in a way that is outside of God's blessing, therefore under God's curse. It's the complete opposite. A person who is pursuing a casual sexual encounter may not want to become one flesh with their partner, but in a spiritual sense, they do. Part of their self is actually given to that person. And it means now that you have less to give to the Lord and to the future partner that God actually has intended for you. See, there's no such thing as casual sex when it comes to the things of God. 
There is sex inside marriage between a man and a woman. And that's the end of the definition from a biblical perspective. Since we belong to Jesus, our body, our souls, our spirits, we have no right to give any part of ourselves away to an unauthorized person. Fee says this, By being joined to a prostitute in porneia, the believer constitutes someone else outside of Christ as the unlawful Lord over one's own body. Warren Wiersbe says this, Sex outside of marriage is like a man robbing a bank. He gets something, but it's not his, and he will one day have to pay for it. Sex within marriage can be like a person putting money into the bank. There is safety, security, and you will collect interest and dividends. (laughs) He, Paul says, he who is joined to the Lord. There is a heat of lustful passion involved where spiritual things seem a long way away. When people are caught up in sexual things that they shouldn't be, they're not thinking about the things of God, even though the Holy Spirit's prompting them, don't do that, don't do that. Why? Not because God just wants to be a rule maker, but because he knows you'll get hurt And he's like a father telling a child, don't do that because I don't want you to get hurt. But I think at the the very core of why people do those kind of things, it's just that they have a desire for love, for acceptance, for uh, a little bit of spice and adventure in their life. But God desires for all those things to be met in our relationship with him. We are fulfilled in Christ. Verse 18. This is a command for purity amongst Christians. Flee sexual immorality. Run like crazy away from it. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. This is a verse that gives us an identification of the difference of sexual sin versus other sins. Paul doesn't tell us to be brave and resist the lustful passion of sexual immorality. He says just run away from its presence. So many people fall into sexual sin because they don't run away. They try and get as close to it as they can. But we should do exactly what Joseph did in Genesis chapter 39. And and when somebody's trying to seduce you, turn around and run, even if it costs you something, just like Joseph. And Paul doesn't say flee sex. He says flee sexual immorality. God gave sex as a precious gift to all of mankind, uses it to, to bring a man and a woman together to be one flesh. Hebrews 13 verse 4 says that the marriage bed is undefiled. The sexual relationship between a man and a wife, husband and wife, it's pure, holy, it's good before the Lord. But sexual immorality works against God's good purpose for sex. And it works against a true, godly, one-flesh relationship. There's no doubt that it can be exciting, but it will never be enriching. We are reminded here, as Paul uses the words porneia to represent sexual immorality, that refers to a broad range of sexual sin. To flee sexual immorality means more than just not having sexual intercourse with somebody we're not married to. It means flee sexual gratification short of or apart from intercourse with someone we are not married to. It means to flee sexual gratification or the thrills that you can find from pornography, from movies, books, magazines, internet sites. 
Paul says when you give in to those things, you sin against your own body. Paul isn't saying sexual immorality is worse than other sin, but he does say that it has a different effect on our body and it's very unique. The effect is physical, but it's also moral and it's also spiritual. It's why there's such a heaviness after you have given in to that. So then we move on to verse 19, which is where we are told that we need to glorify God in our body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? And you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. They belong to God. A temple is a place that is sacred to God. It's pure. It's free from immorality. And and if it is true that we are filled with the Holy Spirit, then this truth must influence our sexual behavior. If we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we should not be living this kind of lifestyle. If we commit sexual immorality as Christians, then we're polluting God's temple. Now, earlier on in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul said that the church as a whole was the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now he says the same is true in a spiritual sense of individual Christians. Because our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, our bodies belong to God. They don't belong to us. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Our bodies belong to God because he paid for them. We don't have a right to pollute something that doesn't belong to us. We are God's property, purchased by God. And this applies to a lot more than just our sexual conduct. Uh, if our bodies belong to Jesus, we have no right to be lazy. We have no right to be wasteful with what belongs to God. Our bodies should be put to use, glorifying him. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Uh, Spurgeon said this, Your body was a willing horse when it was in the service of the devil. Then let it not be a sluggish hack now that it draws the chariot of Christ. Wonderful, wonderful visual image. Because our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, God himself lives within us, and which means we have the strength, the power over the sins of the flesh living within us. You already have the ability to conquer it. You're more than a conqueror. We should expect sexual purity from ourselves as Christians more than those people who don't call themselves Christians or people who are saved because they don't have God living in them. Paul makes clear that our bodies belong to Jesus just as much as our spirits. He's the owner of my body. And I, I that's my observation for today. And, and I want to know what you observe because for me, it's all about un- understanding that, that I don't own this. God does. He purchased it on the cross. So why do I think I can do whatever I want with it? Let's have an understanding that God, as the rightful owner of our bodies, will give us the guidelines to be the best stewards of our bodies so that we can fulfill the purposes of God while we are here on this planet fulfilling our calling. So what do you get out of it? I want to know. Type it down. Send it. Uh, put it in the comments. I want to know what you get out of it. Heavenly Father, thank you. Jesus, thank you that you, you paid the price to purchase our bodies. And thank you, Lord, that you desire for our bodies to be used for the things that you created them for. And I pray, Lord, that we would have an understanding of that today, that we would know, 
God, that your intention for us is the best intention possible. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more content, please don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Have a great day.